turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Well, welcome back as we head into our third hour on your drive home. We are delighted to have again with us once again, we have Sam Stone. Sam Stone for your drive home. Sam is the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday afternoon at 3, Breaking Battlegrounds. He's also a political consultant in town, and you can follow him on Twix at Sam the Paul, P-O-L, Sam the P-O-L. We love having you here, Sam. Um, thank you for being here, and thank you too for um, helming the show the other day. Uh, was it I, I may have had too much fun. Oh, well, there's no such thing. You can't have I, you know, so clean fun. Well, so it, I mean, look, you know, I, I don't know how many folks stuck to the end of it to get to the point where I was explaining the whole thing about aliens. Really, oh, I'm not. A, I'm not really that far down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, everything our government and this new world order is doing yeah. is so wacky. It makes so little sense. That if if you said aliens were the explanation, that's like the only thing I can think think of that actually. Uh, I'm going to return to this on a serious work. point about. It's almost as if we've been invaded by brain snatchers on a lot of issues in this country. Almost as if there has been an invasion of not body snatchers but brain snatchers. We, we do have a problem in certain rivers with amoeba that do have brain eating, uh, right. you know, things. So this is. It is possible that that is the water source for the U.S. House and Senate. Well, and maybe just the population generally, when you look at some of the things that the young people are now saying they support or believe in, when you think Oh, the about, colleges are definitely feeding directly yeah, off that stream. Maybe that is their water source. But also amongst the adult voting population, when you look at the most recent polling after the Colorado Supreme Court decision. Before we get to all of that, though, just, just an odd bone to pick with you um, – from your tenure as a guest host. David, do you want to play that uh, clip just real quick from Sam on Tuesday? Yeah. I, okay. So here's the thing. I'm not a, I'm not a Bigfoot believer. Not a Bigfoot guy. Okay. No. Okay. So that was uttered on this show. And then I stand how, by it. How do I do this? Oliver Stone was on Bill Maher's uh, long podcast a couple weeks ago. Club Random, I think it's called. And he was talking to Oliver Stone about these really crazy conspiracy theories that Oliver Stone believes in. And they got into a debate about 2020 where Oliver Stone actually, amongst other things, Oliver Stone was, and Bill Maher doesn't, believes the 2020 election was stolen. And Bill Maher tried to get out of the conversation in a polite way by saying, well, it has been known to happen, for example, 1960 with Kennedy-Nixon. And Oliver Stone goes, no, I think Kennedy won that legitimately. To which Bill Maher said, he said, the one, the one conspiracy that everyone is on board with, you don't believe, but you're going way out on a limb. And I thought, you know, Sam, the Bigfoot thing is the one you don't believe, but you went on a two-hour trajectory of space, space aliens, aliens having taken over the Department of Defense. That's the only thing that makes I, sense. I just can't abide wrapping. it. I cannot abide it. I hey, look, I grew up in the country. There's absolutely no no chance on Bigfoot. We, the, would, we the, would have found him in 
shot him by now. I, first of all, it's a she. If you look at the Patterson-Gimlin film from 1967, which has not been, been disproven. If that thing was real, it would be a pelt on some redneck's wall well, maybe right it now. Is. Unfortunately, maybe it is. <laughs> but the idea that you can't have seven-foot-five creatures walking around erect is disproven by... By Yao Ming? Andre the Giant, <laughs> who I have patted on the shoulder. How'd you the, do that? Because that's a long way up. Well, it was I, a long uh, way we were, up. We, yeah. my, we were at the Madhouse on McDowell back in the day when uh, the Saturday night main event would come to town from time to time. And uh, Dad would like to take me and uh, good, clean fun. They, he was 7'5". The Sasquatch, Patty, she's known as in, because uh-huh. of the Patterson-Gimlin film from 19 – is also measured at 7'5", based on video analysis by Bill Munns of National Geographic. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. The one thing you don't believe – no, absolutely not, because that easily is a foot and a half a costume on top of a six-foot There's no room. costume that's been discovered on that. Uh-huh. All right, but let's talk about the invasion of um, these brain snatchers. You know, Sam, there's something weird going on in this country. I, I, I was talking earlier in my monologue. You just start with the Washington Post or the New York Times. Washington Post had a headline today. A baby orangutan's paternity was unclear. Maury Povich has results. This this constitutes big news. Maury Povich and the Washington Post now care about finding the paternity of orangutans. Evidently, the greatest dog trainer or the most famous dog, dog trainer on the Internet is a guy named Zach George, who is promoting the notion that you need to get a dog's consent. The owner needs to get dog's consent before petting it. You think about perhaps one of the greatest amusements during the COVID um, shutdown period was this Tiger King show, which is one of the most absurd. I mean, I hope I'm not stepping on you. Oh, I tried so hard to watch it because I was dating a woman at the time who was super into it. it it's it's degradation. It was it, it, It's degradation. There's this nostalgia de la blue, this, this thirst for the mud that seems to be going on in so much of our culture. You see the young people supporting terrorist organizations that support nothing they believe in on every other issue and are dead set against the one country that does support everything in their social causes. And then you have 51% of Americans thinking that it's okay for four justices of a state court who hold themselves up for retention elections to disenfranchise almost 2 million voters in a state. What the hell is going on here? What happened to our brains? Well, uh, let's start in the Ivy League, because actually that that decision in the Colorado court broke down 4-3. And if you look at where the seven judges went to school, you have four Ivy Leaguers who all voted to throw Trump off the ballot and three who went to Denver Law who all said no. So what what is happening? I mean, this is you bring up the point about um, Israel, the values of the, the so-called left. Um, I, I I am almost at a loss of words. And obviously that doesn't happen very often in my life. But um Everything is so focused on a Marxian racial lens Mm -hmm. that they have no ability to comprehend the world outside of that. So they view Jews as white oppressors. Now, ignore the fact that Israel, uh, Jews in Israel are primarily people of color as we would define them here. Most of them are of Middle Eastern and or African descent. Um, ignore the fact that Israel stands for all the other values these folks profess. I mean, if you're out there right now and you're like, I'm an abortion voter, why don't you ask Hamas how they feel about abortion? If you you say, I am LGBTQIAAP++, whatever, 
that definitely needs a new acronym. Um, ask Hamas what they think they should do to you. I mean, over and over and over, you're taking the most heinous, illiberal uh, organizations, institutions, and ideas, and they're supporting them. The idea that we are going to, in this country, throw the leading presidential candidate from one side off the ballot, and you're calling that a defense of democracy, I question whether you know what the words defense or democracy mean. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the SJP protesters for LGBTQ rights. It's the same thing, right? It's uh, chickens for KFC. It's it's blacks for the KKK. And that is pernicious in a particular way because the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas, which are SJP, Mm -hmm. are using these people deliberately. Like, look, if if the Muslim Brotherhood became the dominant political party in America today— Gay people in this country would be running for their lives tomorrow, and yet you support them? I, It is so infa- beyond my understanding and my comprehension to see this. And look, this really all I, – I put all of this back on our universities starting at the elite ones. It's then filtered to all the others and down through K-12, and they are teaching people absolute falsehoods, garbage – from kindergarten all the way through grad school. One of the things I fear we're going to lose sight of and forget because we tend to move on and forget, and there is such a flood of news and rush of news, attendant to everything you just said, was we had about a three-week run where college students were rediscovering the brilliance not of Henry Kissinger, who was in the news, but Osama bin Laden and his first and his uh, fatwa against the United States. Rediscovering this as having some kind of uh, awakened moral, wokened uh, moral, moral validity to it, and as if it was the thing that opened up all of life's and foreign policy secrets to them in a way they had never before understood. Let me take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back more on our culture and our brains. Sam Stone is my guest. Follow him on Twix at Sam the Paul. He and I will be right back. Political consultant Sam Stone is my guest. He also has his own radio show heard here every Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m. breaking battlegrounds. And uh, we're just talking about it, – it, it's an, yeah, go ahead. Little Drummer Boy, yes. by the way, is his favorite Christmas song. So thank you, young David, for that one. Whose favorite? Mine. Mine too. I was making that point the other day um, that I think it is anyway. Um, I first heard it. Do you remember the first time you ever heard it? I remember the first time I did. Uh, it was – so it was one of my – you know, the I, I believe it was the Nat King Cole version that my mother would play when I was a little kid in the house. So she – my mother is huge on Christmas. I mean huge. Um, our house looks somewhere between the North Pole and uh, – well, it's crazy, mm-hmm. but Christmas music would start. And rawhide, <laughs> yeah. Christmas music would start playing on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, sure. And end in maybe April ish. <laughs> so I heard it quite a bit, but that's like the only one of the songs that I would still to this day. Every time I hear it, if I'm driving around and a Christmas song pops up and it's that, I'm turning it up. I'm jamming. We have about ten versions boy. of it. Uh, everyone from Casey and the Sunshine Band's version to um, 
Bob Seger's version. First time I ever heard it. Pentatonics version is fantastic. You want pentatonics? Okay, young David's taking notes. I uh, first time I ever heard it was Little Richie on the old Dick Van Dyke show. Do you remember that? Yeah, remember that when they did a Christmas, an Alan Brady Christmas special. Yeah, he did it just all so pure, so innocent. So it's and that's yes, he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, No, that is by far my favorite. Um, Okay, we're talking about the brain and culture of America and Americans uh, because we're up against something we never used to be. I mean, you see this partly with the Democratic Party in and of itself and the things it believes today versus the things it believed in the 1960s and 1970s. Yes, they were liberal, but they weren't completely crazy. Uh, They didn't embrace – well, here's one of many indices I could throw at you. Uh, when you and I were growing up, the idea of a socialist in Congress would have been unheard of. Uh, there was one in the 1980s. Uh, that one became a senator and became um, the uh, number two option twice to become the nominee of a major presidential political party. There are now six self-declared uh, socialists in Congress and over 100 in state legislators state legislatures throughout the country. This is one of many indicia of a changed Democratic Party and a changed country. The notion that for four years we could have a Republican president who every single Democrat and almost every single media organization could call a fascist, a neo-Nazi, and a white supremacist for four years, every Democrat would or illegitimate would hew to that kind of worst form of historical analog to attach to an ordinary conservative Republican president um, changes, I think, a thinking around here. And it creates an almost opinion hierarchy where we just – Thomas Jefferson worried about whether differences of opinion between the parties would ever convert into differences of principle – and I think that day has come and gone. I think we are we, 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 we don't have differences of opinion. It's differences of principle. When so much of this country can support a retrograde medieval terrorist entity over a liberal democracy, or when half this country can tell you that it supports communism when it's polling our young people, or when half of this country can tell you it supports Honduran-style judicial fiat to eliminate a presidential candidate— we're in a different place than we used to be. Yeah. I, look, to me, this all comes back to education and, quite frankly, the lack of it and an indoctrination instead of education. So the entire concept um, <clears throat> the entire concept of, of DEI mm-hmm. and everything that flows from it, CRT and all the various things, um, depends on not knowing anything at all about history. And we have gone out of our way now to stop teaching actual history. We have gone out of our way to indoctrinate people into certain concepts that are so antithetical to American beliefs. Now, either this happened because of a disturbing bent in universities that we didn't pay attention to. And that's a reasonable explanation. You don't need a conspiracy. Or it was guided. And when you look at the things people like George Soros and others are doing, it appears to be guided, where they actually funded and promoted these. Scholars under the Open Society Foundation got fellowships. Um, And and a lot of others. I mean, the the, um, 
the Islamic Front, the mm-hmm. the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, uh-huh. all these organizations yeah. have yeah. poured mm-hmm. huge amounts of money into U.S. universities. Um, the Chinese mm-hmm. have poured huge amounts of money into U.S. universities. The entire concept. There's a great blog, I, and he's kind of on the left. I generally don't dis, dis, I generally disagree with him on most, but it, it's a no opinion is the Noah, and then pinion uh-huh. is the blog, and he had a great piece on what is going to be the world order going forward. What are the values we're all going to agree upon? And and he had a, some ideas, but one of the things he did there was really take apart this idea of occupied lands. Okay. You know, he really went back through starting with Israel, the history in that region, but then the history in every region. So, like, uh, when one of the, the Phoenix City Council members, Carlos Garcia, at his inauguration got up and gave a big diatribe about this being stolen Tohono Odom land, I'm sitting there in the audience at that time going, well, except that they stole it from another tribe who stole it from the Anasazi, who stole it from, I mean, go back, right? Nobody lives on the land they originally came from. Except the maybe Jews. Maybe the Jews. Except the Jews. Right, yeah. yeah that's yeah, like yeah. the Jews and Egyptians yeah, um, right. and Chinese, yeah. right? There's, everyone else has moved around so much, um, Japanese. I mean, there's a handful, right? But But for crying out loud, this whole idea that the world wasn't, one conquest after another for thousands of years. You have to ignore all of that to start with this entire idea of oppressed and oppressors. And what's actually really interesting to me is a lot of these folks in saying like Hamas should take over Israel and we should give back our lands here and there and the other. By the way, they probably, again, because they don't know anything about history, don't realize that they're saying the same thing the Japanese said when they launched an attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, the Japanese reasoning for why they had a right to go create an empire throughout the East was because other people had done it and then denied them the ability to do it once they developed a technological society. So, And, and we said, the world said as a whole – no, we've moved past that, and we are going to respect international borders and boundaries from now on. Yeah. And modernity modernity means something. Right. Yes. yes. And so they're actually repeating <clears throat> the justifications of the Axis powers in World War II. And when you talk about – like they talk about Trump and fascism, right? Yes, yes. You can't call Trump a fascist if you know what fascism looks like and is. Actually, he was one of the least fascist, least authoritarian presidents we've ever had. He tried desperately not to rule by executive order to the point that last week Ron DeSantis attacked him for not ruling enough by executive order. I want to pick up on this issue when we come right back. Sam Stone is my guest. You can follow him uh, on Sam at Sam the Poll on Twix, which is our word for Twitter in X. And you can hear him every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. And usually here on Thursdays right about now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. And we're talking about, you know, not the closing of the American mind so much as the stealing of it and uh, or the robbing of it. You're absolutely right about people who know very little American history. I call them— Very little world history. Very little very world little history. Very little about anything, I call them. Frankly. Yeah, they're five-minute historians. They learned history five minutes ago on TikTok. I, speeches I give— I almost always say if I want everyone in the audience to walk out with one statistic, it is this. And it's that 50% of our high school seniors get an F in American history. 
according to the National Assessment of Education Progress, the nation's report card. That's half of our 17- and 18-year-olds right on the cusp of doing what? Perhaps going to college, perhaps joining the military, casting their first vote, perhaps getting their first job. We are making aliens of half of our um, 3 million high school graduates every, every single year. That is going to add up to something over the course of about a generation. It already has. And it has. What's worse about that, in, and you actually you have that that you say in every one of your speeches, here's one of the things that I put in almost every one of mine. <clears throat> the people in Washington who are writing our laws and setting our policies are not the elected officials. Okay. It's a bunch of 24-year-olds dressed straight out of college who go in to become the staffers in the House, the Senate, all these executive totally agencies. True. Right. They're the ones who are actually writing mm-hmm. and determining the laws, the policies, the regulations of this country. And N- Now do social media analytics. Right. right. I mean, so – this is what is so concerning. Mm-hmm. They're really, you know, we've talked about this before. There's really only a handful of members in each chamber who are, are truly right. valuable yeah. to the institution. One of the things those have in common is every one of those is directly engaged in their own policy development, their ideas, and <clears throat> their bills. The rest of them are reading off of talking sheets. You see it when you have those congressional hearings. The ones that are or up, when the president talks. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the ones that are head up and engaged and the ones that are saying what they're saying but staring down at a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. That piece of paper was written by a 24-year-old kid who first off looked this is an insult to every 24-year-old kid. I get it. I felt the same way at the time, but you know nothing when you're 24. I knew nothing when I was 24. Seth, you knew nothing. Everyone else out there understands as you get older, you keep learning how little you know. Correct. But worse, there are people who have had their heads filled with an alternate reality, right. which is totally opposed to the actual historical existence of the world and which is totally opposed to the principles of democracy, capitalism, free markets, free people and, and free nations. Mm-hmm. And this is who is now guiding this country. You're right. And I think it has brought with it a lot of changes that are required for them to have a patina of credibility or at least a gloss of credibility. So for one thing, we change the meaning of words. Yes. That's that's certainly one thing we do. The other thing, Sam, and I'd like to get into this a little deeper with you, the rest of this in the next segment, is we've changed what's important. We've changed what's valued. So, for example, uh, this Claudine Gay controversy. I don't know if she'll last or not. Last week she was going to last. I don't know now with the new flood. But what was clearly important to the Harvard Corporation was not that she committed an academic felony or four or eight or now 40 academic felonies, Felonies, the acts of which, for one, she has expelled students and from any, Harvard for Any committing. white professor who Correct. had done what she did would be fired, tenure terminated, Correct. gone. So what turns out is important to Harvard is not the violation of that felony, but that we have a trans what, – what, what's, what's the word I want? We have a woke DEI type – president in the position who fulfills racial quotas, who fulfills sexual uh, sexual minority quotas, 
and who speaks from and teaches from the perspective of Marx. That's what was important. They wanted a specific identity in front of the cameras and microphones when Harvard was in the news. Right. That's what was important. Not academic rigor or even honesty. No. And she has no business being a professor at any university, much less Harvard, based on her academic record. Right. And that's... That's a shame because one of the things, you know, I've talked with a lot of black friends about this, the ones who didn't get forward on DEI and and affirmative action, rage Mm -hmm. at the diminution of their accomplishments that is created by people like Claudine Gay. That's right. Shelby Steele has, you know, Shelby a little bit. A little bit. he, he, He has this great phrase, this whole behavioral action causes what he calls the permanent stigma of questionable competence. Great phrase. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth. Sam Stone is my guest. Sam, I wanted to wet a couple of things together that you were mentioning over the course of the last few segments. This 24-year-olds don't know anything thing. It put me in mind of something I heard the other day, and either I'm too stupid to think this is a revelation or a light bulb went off that explains a lot to me that I didn't understand, and I'm not sure which it is. But the founder, and I don't remember his name, the founder of the Aubon Pan restaurant chain, and he had another one too. I can't remember what it was. Panera, maybe, whatever. But um, uh, he was interviewing with Adam Carolla, and Adam Carolla asked him, and he's, I think, a liberal, and Adam Carolla asked him, how does it work in corporations where, you know, someone like, Bud Light puts out a campaign with Dylan Mulvaney. He said, are there memos written? Is it done at the C-suite level? How do these things happen? And this uh, founder of uh, Avon Pan said something. Again, I don't know whether I'm stupid and late to the party or if this was a huge light bulb going off for me. He said, you're operating under an old view of commercial America. He said, the new view is that we corporations – don't just have customers walking the aisles of the stores, uh, uh, grocery stores, or coming into our into our box stores. Our other important customer is our employees, and we're trying to be responsive to their desires and give them the culture that they want. To the degree that may be true, I mean, it explains a lot if it is true, it means we are appeasing these 24-year-olds with – he says it's not the stockholder anymore. It's the employee. We and, are. And they are they are a bunch of um, snowflakes. Yeah. And I he may be on – he may be right. I mean he didn't say it as if it was a bad thing. He's, he's appe- – so they're appeasing them and the Twitter mob. Mm-hmm. I mean really the, huh? it's those two things. Um, and it is a different mindset. One of the differences, I think, you know, look, corporations have some responsibility for the fact that they went through a period between, call it the 60s and 70s, really the financial crisis of the late 70s, I think, was the the start break point, where they became very impersonal to their employees for a, a multi-decade period of time and very unresponsive to their employees. And there was a lot of pushback against that as there should have been. Well, now these kids are coming in. They're, to, you know, I make the, I decide my life. I, 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 I. It's an incredibly um, self-centered point of view. Um, 
instead of saying, listen, we're going to build a company culture and here's what it is and everyone under this tent needs to embrace that company culture, but we're also going to take care of our employees, right? So that was the pre-1978 kind of philosophy, the corporate man. The employees were here for the company. Yeah, but Not also – company- but, but, but that the company owed in exchange a great deal of loyalty sure. to them. Sure. And a responsibility for their life after their employment. That was the whole company man era. And when that went away and it was replaced with a very mercenary corporate culture, um, it opened the door for this, which is a pushback. But it's being done by people who are, frankly, an unbelievably um, egotistical, self-absorbed, narcissistic uh, and entitled pair of generations now and it's they it's not even their fault and i'm sorry to have to pan so many of you like that but the fact of the matter is you were taught and you were raised as the center of the universe it's so interesting you know the 80s corporate man was made fun of and made sport of by the notion of gordon gecko saying greed is good what we have created in its place is the kissing cousin to greed, which is selfishness and self-absorption and self-importance. Yes. And that's now replaced greed in the American corporation. Yes. In a well, weird ironic The greed's irony. still there. Yeah. The greed's still okay. there. Okay. The greed's still there. Yeah. I mean, at certain you know, levels, the greed is still um, there. It's just been combined with this. Yeah. And, and again, this has been taught to them. You know, you have a very um, – you hear a lot of the phrase, my truth, yep. right? right? What is my truth? My truth is a lie. It's by definition not the truth. By right. definition, it's self-refuting. Right. Mm-hmm. And so everything became about that person. How many times did we hear everyone is special? Uh-huh. You're special. Right. Well, no, you're not. I'm not. You're not. And no one else here is special. Uh, there are a handful of truly special people on this planet uh, Usain Bolt is a special athlete. Michael Jordan, special athlete. Um, Stephen Hawking, special mind. There are a few of those people, but most of us are not them. Because it's important that we get along in what we are trying to build. I can hear George Costanza yelling, it's a civilization, people. We're trying to build a society here. Uh, because you do have to get along with other people, which in- implies um, comporting yourself with the norms of civic society, civil society. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the prevention world, and some of that bleeds over into the recovery and, and rehab worlds, as you have helped me on any number of occasions in these pursuits, and we've worked together on some of them, Sam. You know what you hear in a lot of these 12-step meetings, the open ones that one can go to if they're not, you know, a, mm-hmm. a member. You know what you hear a lot of people understanding in their sobriety? They'll say things like, one of the things I had to learn was, I'm not special. Yeah. You know? That's my, it. My ego needs to be crushed. Yeah. No, look, I think if you look at most of the best people in history, mm-hmm. I mean, and those who were, whose impact was the greatest for good, mm-hmm. um, they got over their idea of themselves being special to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, like one of my favorite examples of that is Winston Churchill, who by the time he took, he became um, the leader of England, was essentially in himself in many ways a broken man and understood it and understood his flaws and understood that it wasn't his greatness, although it ended up being his greatness 
because of that, because he could put so much aside to say, this is a civilizational struggle. This is not about me. This is not about my ego. Whatever works best. And the very best example of that was who became the supreme allied commander when one of his own generals, of course, Montgomery, uh, was vicious in lobbying for that position. Churchill was the one who effectively made the choice to take Eisenhower. The reason he chose Ike was because Ike was not selfish and self-centered, and Montgomery was, and Churchill, from his own experience, understood the difference and the value of that. Did we not learn this as far back as Solomon and the baby? I mean, this is a long-time lesson, right? It's been a historically incredibly valuable lesson, and yes, it's it is throughout every part of history. If you want to create a great society, create a selfless society, but one that rewards the achievement of those who put forth the effort. So interesting. I love your use of the phrase, if you want to create a great society, avoid. Because the other thing we need to avoid to, to, to have a truly great society and not an LBJ-type great society is dependency. Yes. That's the other thing, right? Yeah. You, you have to, it's the balance. Yeah. Let me have you say a concluding word on this when we come back. I also I took a lot of notes on what you said, and I want to return to something. I'll see if I can wedge it all together with you. Sam Stone and I will be right back with a final thought. The whole thing about Rudolph is a lie, first of all. A red, <laughs> a red nose does not – a red light bulb does not illuminate anything. It attracts – it's used as a beacon, as a navigational beacon. It doesn't illuminate an area – the idea – I heard this from Adam as well the other day. The idea that Santa is rewarding Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer for being oppressed, I suppose, and his great reward is what? Well, Being in front of a death-defying feature. Every, everything that's red about Santa Claus is due to Coca-Cola. Yeah, I know. It's they literally due to Coca-Cola. This was a green image. and white Christmas yeah. character. Yeah. 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 That got oh. turned red Claus, yeah. because Coke wanted to sell more did, Coke. Did a great job. Did you know Dr. Pepper? I didn't know this. Young David, who is a 24-year-old who does know things. He's the exception that proves the rule. Did you know Dr. Pepper? There's an old Dick Clark ad from 1968. You can pull it up on YouTube. Could be served hot or cold. It could be served not just room temperature, but warmed up. Yeah, heated. like tea. Uh-huh. Yes. No, I, I did not know this yeah. until today. Yeah. We won't be doing it. I hate Dr. Pepper, so I'm not doing it at all. But. All right. Last thing, the white-black thing. I'll tell you how or, – or, or any of this race nonsense stuff. You know, you, you had talked about this lie that the children or the youth believe or the children in adult bodies about Israel being a white colonialist oppressive society when it is a majority society that is not white. It's an interesting thing about Jews. You and I grew up in roughly the same area. We never thought of ourselves as white. Jews were not white in America. They're only white in Israel. Isn't that weird? That's how arbitrary these racial games can be. Well, I think they became white in America while they didn't know it. Well, we didn't know it, if you will, right? right. Um, And that's actually – so more – and most of the Jewish population, ethnically Jewish population in America is white because they are mostly – Yeah, right. They're mostly Eastern European Jews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But we forget – I mean one of the reasons that Israel, for instance, is largely a – um, Middle Eastern and African Jewish population is because they have been ethnically cleansed and driven out of the rest of the countries in the Middle East and Africa. 
So they they are those people ethnically. They have the same background kind of thing. They look like those people. And yet they're branded as white uh, yeah. because they're in a conflict with other people who yeah. look exactly like them. Yeah. Um, and but try getting into Harvard in the 1940s as a Jew. You oh, weren't yeah, white. No, you couldn't. You and were not white. It's one of the reasons Jews are bankers, lawyers, and all these other professions that don't require a corporate or government job. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's a great point. My old teacher, Harry Jaffa's first job was with the federal government, and I asked him why he was so anti-status. He said, where else was I going to get a job? In the 1940s. Sam Stone, thank you. God bless you, sir. Good to see you. Until Likewise. next week. Yeah, you betcha. And until tomorrow, folks, God bless you all. I'm Seth for Sam and David and Mr. Bill. Class dismissed. <laughs>